It's WNRI's Upfront. The opinions expressed represent those only of the panel and callers and do not reflect the views of WNRI and its owners. Telephone lines are now open at 7690600. And now, let's join the Upfront panel. All right, another busy morning scheduled here for the Upfront program. We uh, will do our real estate segment first of all with uh, Robert Martin, better known as Bob Martin, and we'll uh, ask him a few real estate questions. We have a couple couple of questions for him today, and then we'll uh, be joined by John Brian, who is a candidate for mayor. And uh, John has a new video out uh, that he is going to be talking about and a few other things on the Upfront program. That is a paid segment. And then uh, we'll get a visit from school committee chairman... Uh, Mr. Paul Bourget, and uh, we are ending phase one of uh, what they call the reopening of schools and ready to go into phase two. Well, it's not going to exactly go the way that they wanted it on phase two. Mr. Bourget will explain uh, some of the um, differences of how public schools will look next Monday when they open into phase two. So we got a lot of information. Let's see if we can uh, connect with Mr. Bob Martin. Are you there, Mr. Martin? Yes, I am, Mr. Bouchard. Before we get underway with a real estate question, we want to uh, congratulate Crossroads Real Estate Group. They were voted number one real estate agency in the Woonsocket Call Reader's Choice Survey. I know you must be uh, happy uh, knowing that your agency uh, is a favorite among uh, call readers. Um, So uh, congratulations to you. Well, thank you. And and back to you, Roger, for uh, what the number one station, the number one morning show and the number one uh, um, celebrity, if you will. Cele- uh, yes. Did you know you were talking to a celebrity, Bob? Yes, I'm talking to a celebrity. Yes, of course. All right. Yes. Um, but um, my pay has been the same for the past 10 years. Um, <laughs> and I'm not exactly sure what that means. But are you ready for uh, a couple of real estate questions? Sure. All right. This, um, this uh, listener calls in and says... Uh, uh, what does Mr. Martin think of Bank of America's program of their home ownership program, which will give mortgages to buyers with almost none of their money? Didn't these uh, giveaway programs cause uh, the real estate crash back in the early 2000s? Jack has written in. What do you think, Mr. Martin? Uh, well, the, the, you know, you <clears throat> sent the question yesterday, Rod, so I had a chance to go on to Bank of America's website um, and... Um, the best that I can see is um, that the, the program is not just a Bank of America special program. Um, it's a program through Rhode Island Housing, and if you go on some of the, the larger institutions, they, they you know they all advertise it on their website. So basically, what what it is is uh, and um, Rhode Island Housing, which is an FHA program, which means it's three and a half percent down. Um, it's always had a down payment assistance of some kind, whether it's a second mortgage and whatnot. And you may recall a couple of years ago, they were giving out $7,500 to, uh, if you qualify, which good credit and stuff, um, <clears throat> to the so-called distressed communities. And then, and that would be forgiven. Then they went, they, they migrated to 7500 statewide, uh, no interest, no payments, but it remained there as a second mortgage for ever until you sold the house or until you remortgage your house. Well, as of a couple of days ago, uh, they came out with the program with $10,000. So if someone 
in the state of Rhode Island otherwise qualifies for Rhode Island housing, which is an income, but it's generous. A family of two, you can make 90-some-odd thousand. A family of three or more, you're 112,000. So you can buy a nice house. Um, they will, um, in conjunction with them granting an FHA mortgage, extend $10,000 for a deposit towards the purchase of a home. So if you're looking at a 3.5% program, you can buy a home of about a quarter million dollars and they will give you your down payment. You do have to pay it back in time, but um, uh, that is their first home buyer program. So to answer Jack's question, <clears throat> this isn't anything that just came about. Um, I think the difference now with, with the last time, and, and, and I don't, you know, the last time, if you were self-employed, they really didn't even ask for income tax returns and whatnot. So the, what we call the underwriting guidelines now are much more stringent. Um, so, yes, I mean, is it safer for a lender if somebody's putting 50% down? Of course. But, you know, they need to make the world go round as well, and we don't have that kind of affluence in Northern Rhode Island or most of Rhode Island. So, basically... Uh, like this program, you need a minimum 660 score on a FICO. So what they're looking at more is they've upped the requirements for credit. They've upped the requirements in most cases for your what they call debt to income, the amount of money you make in reference to your mortgage payment as a percentage. Uh, so they're looking into a lot more things um, so that um, in, in hopes that, you know, going forward, we will not have a reoccurrence of, um, what we've had in the past uh, when they called it the so-called bubble. So I think there's a lot more caution, a lot more underwriting. Um, I don't want to say they're refusing more people, but in the sense they are, there are less people that will qualify. Um, but that that 100% financing, um, so-called, is it's been around right along. I mean, they've just increased the amount. Um, but, yeah, we've been making mortgage to qualified people with the, uh, what we call a seller contribution for closing costs, this kind of a down payment. Or right now, housing's always been given, giving down payment assistance, second mortgages for people. So if, if someone has the income to support it, but for whatever reason they haven't been able to save the down payment, which is the concept here, um, they, they've, they've been making those mortgages right along. Do I think it's the same thing as the last time? No. A lot more caution, uh, a lot more underwriting, a lot more vigilance. So, uh, and so it boils down, I think they're lending, they're lending to people that qualify to a higher degree than the last time. And we had a second question, <clears throat> Bob. <clears throat> um, I'm not reading this one. Uh, I just got the phone call. And uh, so anyway, this gentleman uh, had his house appraised and uh, the appraisal came in um, uh, and he wants to know, I, I think he said 450, might have been 350. He wants to know if he puts his house on the market, will the real estate appraisal be the selling price of the house or is it higher or lower? Well, if he, if he had a good appraiser, the appraiser should have come up with a good value. Um, does it mean that he will get exactly that price? No, it depends on a lot of things that, um, you know, in... We list a home sometimes, we think it'll fly off the shelf, 
although most are now um, in these days, but it, it just hangs around longer. And others we don't think will sell fast, and they will. So if he had it appraised, and the distinction there is between having it appraised, and you said he paid an appraiser or he hired an appraiser, yeah. and, and an assessment, that's apples and oranges. Your home, Roger, could be assessed for a certain amount for tax purposes, and it could be appraised and sell for an, a, a different amount, which could be higher or lower. Generally, in this marketplace, it, it would be it would be higher, and in some cases, substantially higher. So, no, he um, if he if he hired an appraiser that did their job well, they that about is what he should give or take. But that's about what he should expect. Mm-hmm. And then when he if he does hire an a, a a real estate agent, um, they will in turn also do a CMA, which is comparable to an appraisal, um, and come up with comparable houses in the area that um, uh, that have sold and, and base the price on that. So I would say he, he could count on, on that appraisal. I think what he was thinking of uh, in this real estate market is that if it came in at three fifty, he could sell it for four because everybody is is buying crazy, you know. But uh, that's not well, the no. case. Well, it's not always the case because, uh, not that it won't, but what, what people tend to forget is when you apply for a mortgage, um, the lender will lend the selling price or their appraised value, whichever is less, and they will lend a percentage on that. So if someone offered $400,000 and it, say it appraised for three fifty, and when the lender appraises it, it comes in at three fifty. And they're putting 20% down. Well, the lender will, will lend 80% of their appraisal, which would be 80% of 350 not 80% of 400 Now, that doesn't mean he can't pay 400 for it, but that buyer's got to come up with that additional 50000 bucks out of his pocket. Yeah, I guess. Most of the time, when the appraisal comes in like that, buyers generally don't want to pay over the appraised value. Got it. All right. Thank you, and uh, you're always a wealth of information when it comes to uh, real estate and golf, I've been told. So um, I want you to have a a, a great day, and we'll see you uh, next week at about the same time, all right? All right, Raj. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Bob Martin, Crossroads Real Estate Group, and our real estate, in this case here, questions of the week. We had two questions from our listeners. All right, now we're going to talk about... um, we're going to talk about Champs Liquors for Keyway, and then we're going to interview Mr. Brian. Champs Liquors for Keyway, 481 Clinton Street, Woonsocket. Still on sale, Tisdale Wines from California. In six varieties, including a Pinot Grigio, Merlot, Cabernet, White Zinfandel, Chardonnay, and a Moscato. And yes, it's still two bottles for $10. Share in life's endless possibilities with Tisdale Vineyards of California. Quality wine. And we continue the best price in town on Bud and Bud Light. 30-pack, $25.50 plus tax. Champs Liquors for Keyway, Clinton Street, Woonsocket. Champs Liquors now offers in-store shopping. Come on in and browse around. You're welcomed. Social distancing observed at Champs Liquors. And remember, if you have a question, call us at 765-1800 and we'll cheerfully answer any question you have about beer, wine, and liquors. Champs Liquors for Keyway, Woonsocket.
There's a church nearby where members are kind and friendly. May we invite you to attend services at the Cumberland Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Services are now available on Facebook or Skype on the Internet. Call 658-2748 for information on seeing us online. It's the church where you can hear the gospel, believe in Christ, repent, confess, and be baptized. Join us this week for our prayer and Bible study, Wednesday at 7 p.m. and Sunday services at 1 p.m. Our sermons are understandable to grow you in faith and available online. Again, we are the Cumberland Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, inviting you on your journey of salvation, with services now available on Facebook and Skype. Services conducted by Pastor Marcus Warren. And uh, the services will be this coming Sunday. They were uh, canceled last week because the congregation was uh, doing another uh, religious uh, function, but uh, they are having their regular Sunday services this coming Sunday at 1. Savini's Pomodoro Restaurant is open for inside and outside dining, too. And you can enjoy our famous and very popular Sicilian-style pizza, clam cakes and chowder, fish and chips, fried clam sandwiches, and our full Italian specialties, too. And you can always order takeout, taking reservations for indoor and outdoor service at 762-5114. Savini's Pomodoro, Rathbun Street, Woonsocket, open Tuesday through Sunday. And yes, we always have family-style chicken. And Savini's will be open uh, today at noontime because today is Friday. And uh, they uh, open at noontime on uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Savini's Pomodoro Italian Kitchen and Bar. All right, we are ready to uh, get to the next segment of the Upfront program. We have three segments today. Busy show. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Upfront program. And the following time has been purchased by the Brian for Mayor Committee. And so that means on this Friday, as he has been a number of Fridays, Mr. Uh, Vice President of the City Council and candidate for Mayor John Brian has joined us in studio. Hello, John. Hello, Mr. Bouchard, and hello, listeners. Uh, thanks for being here this morning, and uh, thanks for having me, Mr. Bouchard. So I wanted to ask you, uh, because we were reporting all weekend long, uh, there was a story out of Boroughville about uh, political signs being stolen or um, misappropriated. And then uh, we had a story out of, uh, out of Cranston about uh, political signs uh, being possibly stolen. It turned out that they weren't. And so I was just wondering whether, in fact, um, all your signs are uh, staying in place or whether there's anything uh, going on in that direction. Well, I'm glad you asked me that because just last night when I was having dinner with my wife, Nicole, and this morning while I was uh, having a cup of coffee, I was notified of some of my fu- my signs having been stolen uh, overnight. In fact, last night there was a sign that I had put up uh, and it had been stolen probably within two hours of me putting it up. And so... I think that, excuse me, the stealings of signs is so unfortunate and so ridiculous. I mean, look, everybody has a First Amendment right to express uh, however they want to, and a sign can be on your front lawn for any number of things, from a roofing company to a campaign. So um, certainly no one from the John Brand for Mayor campaign would even consider or want to steal any uh, signs from the other campaign because it's foolish and there's no need to do so. However, that doesn't seem to be reciprocated. But I will say this, Roger, uh, 
you know, I am a criminal defense attorney, and I also, we are living in an age where you have, there are many brands of smart uh, cameras and doorbells out there, Ring, there's Nest, there's ADT, there's Cox, there's all kinds of these doorbells and cameras that are, are motion detected and activated. So, um, you know, those signs are, are my property, and I put them on someone's uh, lawn, and I basically lend it to them, but then I go and I get it back at, at the end of the campaign. And so um, I would say this to anyone who uh, would engage in stealing any of these campaign signs or who would try to incite others and encourage others to steal campaign signs. And they're out there and you know who you are. Uh, I would basically say um, I will press charges and I will press charges because that's theft and I will be happy to do so. Uh, if it's caught on a camera, and many people don't realize the cameras are there. So, uh, uh, Roger, we've run an incredibly clean campaign. We have and we will run a clean campaign. So there's really no need to behave this way. And I find that uh, it's really unseemly for any campaign, uh, whether it be my opponent or any campaign, to behave that way. So just, you know, stay in your lane, like I said all along. I'm not running against anyone. I'm running for mayor. I think that's important. That's an important distinction. And I'm going to continue to do so. Talking about running for mayor, John Brian is with us. And he um, is uh, here every Friday talking about his campaign. So besides being out in the streets, um, going uh, door to door, another thing uh, that um, is part of campaigning these days is social media. And also making sure that on social media, you get your message uh, out to them. And so your campaign has produced a new video. It was shown to me last night. It was pretty professionally produced. And so you're going to talk a little bit about that. Maybe you could even play it for us. Yeah, I'm going to play it for you right now, Roger. And then we'll talk about it and and how I I decided that this would be a a, a good way to express vision, which is one of the core Mm -hmm. concepts of my campaign. And I'm going to talk about the economic impact and, and what it could mean for our city. So, And the other thing I want to mention about this video is that I listened to it and watched it, but the audio works very, very nicely for radio. So uh, whatever you hear in this picture, adding um, visuals to it, and you're going to get an even better picture. Okay, so let's play it right now, okay? okay. So you might want to have to turn up my mic. I'm ready. John Brian. Hi, I'm John Brand, candidate for mayor. I'm here in one of my favorite places in the city of Woonsocket, Lops Brewing. You know, Lops is the only microbrewery located here in the city of Woonsocket. Woonsocket was once home to two microbreweries, but the other, Ravenous Brewing Company, was inexplicably allowed to move to nearby Cumberland. I can assure you that when I'm elected mayor, that will never happen again. Woonsocket was once a booming mill city, full of textile mills, and a central piece of the Industrial Revolution. But the industry has left, and the mill buildings remain. So what do we do now? I propose that we embrace our past. Like similarly situated cities, like Ludlow, North Adams, Lowell, and nearby Pawtucket, and utilize the existing infrastructure that we have to recruit the microbrewery and microdistillery industry. We have the buildings. And we have the infrastructure. So as your next mayor, I will do everything I can to recruit this booming industry here to the city of Woonsocket. While this isn't a silver bullet, it is definitely a spark to fire up the economic engine of the great city of Woonsocket. So on November 3rd, raise a glass with me and let's celebrate the dawn of a new economic age here in the city of Woonsocket. 
I noticed you didn't have your traditional uh, sh- shirt and tie on. You um, looked rather casual in uh, in that. I guess if you're having a beer over a lops, you probably would um, be more appropriately dressed um, with, um, you know, a sports shirt and, and some kind of a jersey. Anyway, sounds good. Yeah, I mean, Roger, look, I mean, how do you dress when you go to a brewery? You dress comfortable, you're casual, and also remember that you're dealing with someone that thinks that flannel is a proper fashion attire for... Uh, you know, 12 months of the year, so I'm, I, I can always be seen in flannel no matter what the season. So why did I choose, why did I choose the microbrewery and microdistillery industry? Well, I've been looking at cities that are a lot like Woonsocket, former mill cities that have the infrastructure. They have the buildings and the infrastructure, but not really doing anything with them, and we're trying to figure out uh, who we are and who we want to be. And one of the things I've heard on the campaign trail consistently is nobody comes to Woonsocket unless you live here, you work here, or you know someone here. And I think that's one of the saddest appraisals of our city that you can state because uh, we have a great city, we have much to offer, but uh, people don't come to Woonsocket because of the stigma that remains upon the city of Woonsocket. And the city of Woonsocket does have a, um, a, a stigma, and the attitude from with, without, from outside of the city, uh, remains uh, poor when thinking of Woonsocket. And I really think that's sad, and I'm, I'm so committed to changing that. But how do you change that? Well, I use my experiences and, and the experiences of friends and family that uh, go to, say, Pawtucket, And in Pawtucket, you've got an operation and a giant mill called the Guild. And the Guild is a conglomerate of many uh, small microbreweries that all sell in the same place. But you also have uh, other microbreweries and distilleries. Foolproof, Crooked, Isle Brewers, Smug Brewing, Rhode Island Spirits, and that's a gin and vodka distillery, and White Dog Distilling, and that's a whiskey distillery. What do they all have in common? They are all in mill buildings. They are all in retrofitted places that were made to work that people are now visiting on a regular basis. Roger, I'm going to give you a number right now that is incredible. So remember, I said the Guild is like a conglomerate of a number of breweries in one place. Over 45,000 people went to the Guild in 2019. Another 90,000 for the other five uh, breweries and micro distilleries in 2019. Over $4.5 million in beer and spirit and spirit sales alone in Pawtucket between these six establishments. And that doesn't include, of course, all of the other business that's brought into the city as a result of people going to these breweries and distilleries. So let me tell you how it happens. People say, hey, let's go to Pawtucket and we're going to go to Foolproof and then we're going to hop to Smug and then we're going to hop over here to Rhode Island Spirits and then we're going to stop at the Guild. But if you've ever been to any of these places, if you've ever been to Ravenous Brewing, which was once in Woonsocket and is now in Cumberland, which is so unfortunate, um, there are social gatherings there. There are birthday parties. You, you see uh, friends and family. You see occasions happening there. You see uh, people of all ages in there. There are, uh, there are you know, there are, they have board games. They have cornhole. They have, you know, you can see the tanks. I mean, it is a social event, and it's happening constantly. And I just think that 
how do we bring people to our city? What do we do to give them a reason? And this is a perfect way to do that. Again, and I say in the video, Roger, this isn't a silver bullet, but let me, let me tell you how it works. You embrace this industry. And you embrace the fact that we may have to, and you work with the city government, and that's the key. You work with the other elected leaders, which I will do as mayor. And you say, are there any zoning ordinances? Are there any, um, are there any laws or regulations that we need to change? And you work together to change them to recruit the industry to come here. And, and, and I've spoken to several restaurant owners who say that is such a great idea. And even uh, Sean at Lops loves the idea of having more. Because it's not competition. What it is, is, is it's more business. Because, as I said, people go from one to the other. And now they're here in the city. And now they'll go to one of our restaurants because they're here and they want to eat. And then they realize, wow, that was a great day in the city. I went to this place. I went to dinner at this place. They'll tell their friends. People will come that haven't been here. People that haven't considered Woonsocket. People that wouldn't consider Woonsocket. And that's the problem. You wouldn't consider Woonsocket. So we need to have vision and we need to be able to give people a reason to come here and to see our city and to see what we have to offer. Now, if you look in Pawtucket, you know, there are, there are new businesses that have arisen because of these uh, breweries and distilleries. You know, you've got New Harvest Coffee, you've got Notes Coffee Company, you've got restaurants. It is, this is sustainable tourism at its finest. You know, you can have, now you can have a situation where people are going to come on a Saturday afternoon. They're going to go to the breweries and the micro distilleries. Then they're going to see a show at the stadium. Then they're going to have something to eat. Then they may stay here at the Pillsbury House Bed and Breakfast. And then they'll go out for breakfast in the morning or they'll do something. And then they'll go home and tell their friends, wow, what a great night we had. You guys should check it out. And that's the ripple effect. That's how it begins. That's how we begin to bring people back to our city and begin to make commercial investment and, 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 and real commercial development. But I want to I wanna give you some quick numbers, Roger, for the economic impact to the state of Rhode Island for the microbrewery and microdistillery industry. 17 and, 1,720 full-time employment jobs. Labor income overall of $87 million. The average wage, $50,000. The economic impact to the state, $246 million. The economic impact per person, 21 and above, in the state of Rhode Island is $307.80. That's additional money coming in just as a result of this industry. So I say we have the buildings, we have the infrastructure, we have the water and the wastewater to provide uh, the ability to do this. And now it's about recruiting the industry to come. And I already have one operation that's interested in starting. I, I know of another operation I've spoken to that's interested in expanding. And so uh, when, we, when you talk about what's your economic development plan, John? What is your vision? I think people have wanted to know that. And this is part of it. This is part of my vision. To, make, to, to rebrand Woonsocket. You know, when we did Levitt Amp, it was so difficult to uh, convince people, and I said this many times at City Council, to convince people that it's okay. You can come to Woonsocket and you can see a free concert by the river on a Friday night in a park and set up a chair. It's going to be okay. Because it's going to be okay. Yeah. It's going to be okay. 
But people need to realize that they can do that. So the more that we can bring, uh, we can bring the, the people to our city to be able to engage in this type. You know, you go, you go to Rhode Island, uh, Rhode Island Distillery, um, and Rhode Island Spirits, rather. And I remember I walked in with my friends. And you walk into this building, Roger, and you're like, oh, my God, I, where are we going? And you, I can't believe this is in here. And then you, you open up the door. And you're, you can't believe it. It's a beautiful space, wide open, loft area, couches, fireplace, high tops. There's a bar. There's, they'll give you a tour on, on how they distill their own uh, gin and vodka. They have special made cocktails. You can sit down. You can relax. You can see the river. I mean, it, it is incredible. And there's no reason why that we can't do that. The only thing that separates us from Pawtucket is a few cities and towns. So, I mean, that's how you do it. But I think if you have the right person uh, that will provide leadership, that has the vision and uh, has the integrity to work uh, honestly and openly uh, with the other elected leaders, these are the things that you can do. So I encourage everyone to please uh, watch my video. You can see it at johnbreenformayor.com. It's also on my Facebook page. Uh, you, can, you can see it there. You can like it there. You can share it. Uh, and I think this has been a big hit, Roger, and I think that this is, um, this is how you do things differently. You know, uh, we, we are more than the city of the dollar store, and, uh, and I want to show that we are. And this is how you begin to do that. And I'm really excited about this. I'm really excited about the, uh, the, uh, the, the impact this has had on people and the response that it's gotten. Thank you, John, for uh, being with us, and uh, you're going to be back on the trail this afternoon, as they say. Yeah, it's <laughs> Groundhog Day, Roger. Didn't you know that? It's it's. So I'll be back out there, and uh, and and good news is I put on a pair of jeans this morning, and I think I had to cinch them with my belt tighter than I have in two years. So All right. that's a good thing. I'll oh. see you later. All right, thank you, John Brian, and our Friday program preceding paid for by the uh, Brian for Mayor Committee. This is the Upfront Program. <laughs> Rise and shine, it's coffee time at Coffee and Cream Restaurant. Locally roasted coffee served with buttermilk pancakes, fresh baked cinnamon buns, crepes, French toast, eggs, and home fries. Open daily, 6 a.m. to 2 at 900 Victory Highway, North Smithfield at Slatersville Plaza. Now serving mimosa and sangria. Our luncheon menu is filled with soups, salads, and sandwiches. Stop in and say hi to John and Heather at Coffee and Cream, made from scratch, from the griddle to your plate. And tell them you heard it on WNRI. And a new uh, commercial for Navigant uh, Credit Union. What would you do if you owned one of those big financial institutions? Would you do the right thing? Would you help people? Teach them? Would you care for your community? What would you do if you owned one of those big financial institutions? Would you like to find out? Our customers are our owners. Our owners are our customers. Navigant Credit Union. The St. Anne Arts and Cultural Center is hosting a chowder and clam cake drive through event on Sunday, October 11th from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. Each order will include a half dozen clam cakes and a pint of your choice of Manhattan, New England, or Rhode Island chowder. Tickets are $10 and can be purchased at Belos Flowers, The Honey Shops, Vos Shoe Value Hardware, or online at the St. Anne Arts and Cultural Center website. 
The Roast House is open seven days a week and our hours are 11.30 a.m. to 9 p.m. And we're featuring outside dining and inside dining and, of course, takeout. To make a reservation to dine or to place an order at the Roast House, call 508-883-7700 and check our menu on the Internet for theroasthouse.com. Thank you for your support during this period of transition. The Roast House, Palm Street, Blackstone. We welcome back old and new customers for inside and outside dining. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. All right, segment three of our program, our school department update. It's an open invitation uh, to uh, both uh, Superintendent McGee and uh, school chair Borget to uh, come by and uh, bring us up to date on what is going on with Woonsocket Public Schools. I begin with the superintendent. Um, oh, wait a minute. Let me turn his microphone on. I find that to be very, very helpful when somebody... Yeah. Right. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> it's always good to have a microphone More on. More so than usual. Hi, Patrick McGee. Hi, Roger. All right. So, phase one of uh, the uh, opening of schools for Woonsocket Public Schools uh, is closing uh, today. And supposedly, uh, phase two is um, ready to, to begin. And I know that there are certain things that have changed about what phase two is all about. So maybe, Mr. Superintendent, uh, you can begin by saying when we have uh, school next week, uh, what can we expect and what problems have you encountered? Yes. So um, let me just start with phase one. Uh, We had phase one. We had our pre-K students, our kindergarten students, and our self-contained students return to school uh, Monday through Friday full in, in return. We've had quite a few of our kindergarten parents um, and and a good amount of our uh, parents of self-contained students who opted for their children to uh, go virtual and continue with the distance learning. So we've really had to um, schedule and and, and it really has has meant moving some students around because when, when you have to schedule for students who are learning at home, you have to have teachers that are just teaching virtually. And when you have students that are in person, you have to have teachers uh, that can teach them in person. So it's been a challenge scheduling that. Um, it's been great seeing the students, the students that, that I've seen, uh, that I've, where I've you know, gone around from school to school. They, they've been very excited to be back. The teachers are excited to have them back. Um, some, some of the other challenges that we've experienced is, has, has been with Google, uh, Google platform really across the country because there are so many, um, you know, users now um, that it's, it's been we, – we've had some challenges with it where, where teachers have been sort of bounced off of uh, the Google platform, which has been very frustrating for them. Uh, one of the things that we've done, and um, Chairman Bourget and, and, the, um, and the school committee – approved a purchase at our last meeting um, by which we'll, we'll be purchasing some, um, some iPads for our staff, which will um, s- support the Google platform, which will make it um, hopefully much less frequent, we believe, um, where, where they'll be, they'll be you know, bounced off of, of their Google Hangout. It's, and it's also an opportunity for our teachers to have another resource to provide for our students uh, both in the classroom and virtually, which will really enhance that instruction. Um, so that, that's, that's the challenge, the, the, the major challenge that, that we faced. 
um, in, in, in phase one. You know, one of the things that I talked about when I first laid out the plans, the, the three plans, I said that each of the plans would be fluid and that um, we wouldn't progress from one phase to the next without looking at the data and without, you know, looking at, at, at feedback and, and just getting a sense of how things are happening and how things are working here in Woonsocket. So phase two, the original phase two was to have first graders return full in person, um, second and third and sixth graders and ninth graders to return um, in a hybrid. Um, when we've been working over the last week or so, with our first grade numbers. And, and again, we have a lot of parents who are you know, opting virtual for their students. Um, and we have parents who you know, prefer their students to, to, to attend in person. And it, it's, it's been quite a challenge uh, in terms of scheduling that. Um, one, of the, one of the things that I said initially when we put the plans together is um, I, I wanted to, and I still do, I want to socially distance six feet in our classrooms. We're able to do that um, in our kindergarten classrooms because the numbers are low. In first grade at this point, because um, in, in addition to having to move students around to try to even out classrooms across the district, we and we experience this from year to year here in Woonsocket, we have um, families who register their, their children that, are, that may be new to the community right up to the first day of school and in through the first week of school. And we're getting a lot of movement. We're getting a lot of, um, of added registrations, especially in first grade, which has made those numbers climb to the point where we have many classrooms in the first grade that, that are at 25. Mm-hmm. And with the room we have, um, you know, maybe some other districts, you know, have, have the, um, the ability to, to socially distance in their classrooms having 25 students. We don't. Um, and right now, as we're, you know, we're, we're two weeks into, um, into the school year, you know, we've just completed today's the last day of, of phase one. Phase two begins on Tuesday. Um, I still want to make sure we're, we're, we're in a good place because eventually... Um, if we're in a good place, we will bring these students back, um, you know, uh, full full time. Um, but again, I want to I want to take it step by step, um, and I don't want to bring our first graders back having 25 first graders in a classroom where they can't socially distance um, appropriately. Um, not saying that it's not going to happen. You know, if, if things, as I said earlier, if as we proceed from one phase to the next. If, if the data is, um, is telling us that, you know, the numbers, uh, the number of cases are, are low and we're able to control them, then we will certainly move to that point in this process. But I don't want to do that right now. Ninth grade um, at the high school has, has been another um, major change. And that, that's a little different. The reasoning behind that and the, the um, you know, the data and the feedback that I'm getting is at our high school, uh, we have uh, approximately 38 staff that are that are out um, for ADA accommodations, uh, which means that they've applied for an, an uh, Americans with Disabilities Act um, through the the COVID relief, um, and they actually qualify for it um, based on an underlying condition that they may have, um, childcare um, issues, or the fact that they're caring they're a caregiver for someone who has underlying conditions. Um, in their household. 
So they've followed the process, um, and um, you know, based on the, the law and, and, and the CARES Act, we we have no choice but to approve. Um, so the fact that we have 38 staff out at the high school, we we can't we can't secure 38 substitutes. We've been we've been working very hard. Our human resources department has been working hard. The high school um, leadership team has been working really hard to try to find substitutes to cover those classes. We just can't cover those classes. And as a result, right now, um, we're at a position where we're not prepared to bring ninth graders back um, in a hybrid model. We're working on it. Um, you have to delay it. Huh? We're, we're, so we're going to have to delay yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the announcement that I made the other night is just, just to give people a sense of, of where we could be, where mm-hmm. we could be heading, um, because I don't want to give them a, a false sense of, of hope, but I also don't want them to feel as though we're not doing our best to try to come up with a solution um, to to provide um, you know coverage and substitutes for these for these teachers. Um, we're looking at going through the um, uh, to January in nine, ten, eleven, and twelve being virtual. However, as I as I as I just stated. We're looking to solve this problem, and I'm going to be continuing to meet with Mr. Henderson and his leadership team to see what we can possibly do to, to somehow bring groups of students back in in a hybrid um, plan. You know, we, we've, we've been uh, chatting, um, you know, I was chatting with, with Chairman Bourget about our, our career center, and, and, you know, the career center is, um, is, is a very unique uh, program for our students because it's hands-on. It, it's, it's very, very challenging um to to learn you know automotive technology um if if you're if you're in front of a computer so we're we're i'm going to be discussing the the possibility of the teachers that are present um maybe possibly bringing those students back Um, it might it wouldn't be all because because we have approximately five staff from the career center who are currently on uh ada leave Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, we're looking to do what we can do to bring someone back to the high school in a hybrid model. Mr. Bourget, um, my turn. Yes. Well, good morning, what ha- Roger. Good morning. Hey, Recognizing everyone. that you may be covering some of the same ground as the superintendent, but of course, he's an administrator and you're a policy person. You're an elected uh, official. And it's been seven days since we sat um, together here uh, talking about the school department, uh, what has changed in the past seven days that you'd like to share with our audience? I knew from the start, just like the superintendent did, that our reopening plans would be fluid. Uh, it would change day to day based on the facts, based on the available teachers, based on what uh, parent involvement is based on parents opting out. Um, also, and the incident rates, the infection rate of the COVID, of COVID-19, all of those factors um, count, come into play. What's happened in a week, and who knows what's going to happen next week. But this past week, one of the first things that we did as a school committee, knowing that there is a possibility and hopefully it doesn't happen that we end up all virtual. Even in the hybrid situation, we've got virtual classes. So we knew that we had to make sure that every student and every teacher had workable 
Chromebooks, iPads, or the like. And this past week going through the problems with Google platform where the teachers were knocked out of the, out of the program so now students didn't have access to, to their teachers, to the programs that are being taught. And so this was a major concern. So we voted uh, based on the recommendations of the technology subcommittee to purchase some $620,000 worth of iPads. These iPads are going to be given to our teachers where they actually use, they use not only uh, to communicate with the students, but you almost can use them as a chalkboard to write your notes where the students see your notes rather than trying to read a, a, a whiteboard that's in the background where I couldn't read it. I mean, when they were showing us that, I'm sorry, but I, I couldn't see it. I, I wouldn't have done well in that classroom. So we got, we got the iPads. In addition, we have a lot of breakage. I mean, we're talking about a Chromebook that is not is a fairly fragile piece of equipment. However, it's breakable. And so we have breakage, we have problems with them, and so we, we've, we've approved a purchase of some $40,000 worth of Chromebooks. So in, those costs are going to be uh, hopefully reimbursed through the CARES Act grants that we're applying for. Um, but that was one of the first things we did. If we're going virtual and we've got virtual, we've got to have the tools for the teachers and for the kids, for our students. Secondly, the biggest thing that's happening is, and it's very unfortunate that what's the, unfor it's the, the unfortunate part is the teachers. The, the number of teachers that are out on ADA, medical leave, we have child care leave, plus we have about 17 teachers uh, who are either waiting for tests, who had symptoms, and it, it, a symptom can be as much as a cough, just a cough and something else. You have two symptoms that's on the list. Doesn't take much, huh? Nope. Now you have to be tested. Well, you're waiting for tests, so you can't be you can't be with your classroom. But what we're finding out, even if you're tested, the results are not 48 hours, 24 hours, like the governor said. They're like two, three weeks now. So we've got a cadre of teachers who are out because they're waiting for testing and. And if you, if you have COVID, and now you have to have two subsequent positive tests before you come back. Now, if each test takes two weeks to get results, you're talking at least a month to two months before you're even cleared. But first, you have to, you know, you have to get over COVID, and then you have to go through the testing. So we're talking about 17 teachers, and remember, 38 is, is key. Uh, that's a big number for the high school. You know, last week, that number was 14. We had 14 teachers out. It was still a stretch. The high school was able to function. We were able to, we were able to go to a hybrid situation. But now with 38, we're dead in the water. And so the superintendent, uh, Principal Henderson and his staff are working very hard to try to get substitutes or rearrange the classrooms however we can do it to hopefully try to get the kids in and have enough teachers to cover but to try to find substitutes in this state when all the districts are looking for substitute teachers it's virtually impossible it's almost impossible plus you got to remember some of our courses are advanced placement courses you just don't you just can't deal with someone who's not going to be teaching content or bringing new content you can't have just someone sitting in a classroom supervising. So some of those teachers that are out 
unnecessary to be able to teach, especially advanced mathematics, advanced literature, history, or the like. So there's, it's not just the number of teachers, it's also the qualifications of the teachers that are needed, and a lot of them are out. So we got 234 across the district, 38 at the high school, and that's enough to send everybody virtual. And frankly, this way, we've got all our teachers teaching um, and our kids learning, which is the most important part. Now the, te- now the high school, frankly, as Mr. Henderson said, he can, him and his staff can focus on the educational content and make sure that that content is not diluted by trying to figure out how do you move within a classroom or how do you handle building traffic control. Uh, now you can really focus on the education aspects uh, of the school year, which is the most important part. Have we had any test positives on either staff or kids, uh, virtual or in-person teaching? As far as I know, we do. Last week it was zero. We've got a few. I mean, it's not like we got we we got major surges, but I mean, like the governor said, there's more there's more kids, uh, there's more cases of COVID at home than around the classrooms. Yeah, we we do. Now, does that mean uh, you know the governor said there's this team standing by to come in and do do something? <laughs> Did that team from the state come in, or uh, is that um, what team? It's just some. Well, we've heard it um, mentioned in their news conferences. We can only go by that. One, we uh, it's very theoretical team. I don't know. Maybe they're operating in the land of Oz. They're certainly not in the city of Woonsocket. Um, we we were like we'd like just turn around testing like she said it'd be 24 hours to 48 hours that's not even happening maybe she meant 24 weeks <laughs> maybe well 24 <laughs> days I don't know Doctor McGee what do you think I I uh, it's it certainly is in 24 hours um, and, you know, and and that's been uh, frustration of, of many of my colleagues um, you know I, I I meet we meet virtually weekly and uh, the last time we met on which was on Tuesday of this week. There's a lot of frustration that there are there are districts where teachers are going are going to get tested, and they're out for an extended period of time because the testing results are not coming back in um, you know in a in a short amount of time. And so there, uh, I, I I think what we're going to see I, I I hope it's not you know it doesn't come to fruition, but I think we're going to see this more and more across the state as we're going to have more teachers that are going to be out and there there's a shortage of substitutes and you know you the, the the average person might think well how difficult is it to get a substitute well it's ex- it's extremely difficult on a good day um pre-covid we don't have enough substitutes across the district so you 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 magnify that with you know having staff who are who are out for legitimate reasons uh, due to, you know, the, um, the, the their 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 vulner- vulnerability to, to COVID, and then you add to that just on a, on an average day, staff are absent, and and it makes it um, to say challenging is an understatement. And I and I understand that parents are extremely frustrated and are angry, and I, I do understand, but I just you know I we're doing our very best. To, to try to provide bodies is really what it is. Um, because as, as Chairman Bourget said, you know, you have some teachers who teach AP history, AP lit. Those substitutes aren't just waiting in the wings to, to come into a district to teach that. Um, and and it's, 
it's 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 a challenge, and we're we're continuing to work on it. We're not just giving up. We're trying to, you know, turn over every stone to to try to find a way to bring some students back. And um, I just want people to know that we're, we're we haven't given up, and we're we're continuing to work. And I know they're frustrated, and um, it, it's we're we're just we're 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 doing our best to to try to get our kids back. Now this is this Friday. Um, we don't know what's going to happen next Friday. We'll, we'll let you know then. But right now, we're able to operate the elementary schools and the, junior, the middle school with the number of teachers, depending on what happens in terms of how many more filed for ADA leave or otherwise. The whole situation with the elementaries and the middle school could change next week. That's fluid, huh? It's that fluid. It have, I mean, within a day, we went from 14 to 38, uh, just as school is getting ready to open for the ninth grade. So I don't know what's going to happen next week. Yeah. Mr. Bourget, what do you want to uh, tell our, uh, our residents of the city of Woonsocket, generally speaking? What's your message uh, today? Uh, uh, be patient. Um, be patient and know that the number one concern that Dr. McGee and his administration and I with the rest of the school committee, I want to give you the message that our biggest concern is the safety and welfare of our teachers and our students and their families. That's number one, because we, even though you might gripe and be frustrated and be impatient with virtual learning, frankly, your child is still being provided a really good education because we've been able to see some of the programs and some of the tools that are being used now and they're incredible so if the child is 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 working hard at home you're going to get a good education it's the best we can do right now to keep everyone safe because the last thing we want is what's happening in the colleges and when groups get together and when you can't control traffic where it'll impact the students, the teachers, and then what? We shut everything down? No. We're providing the best we can, but number one concern is to keep everyone safe. Mr. Superintendent, potting words? I I would just... uh Concur. Uh, echo, I would concur with, with, with Chairman Bourget. I agree with you, you know. guys. <laughs> it is. You know, the health and safety of our students and our staff is, is our top priority. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I, I will be excited to see uh, students at the elementary level um, and at, the, at our sixth graders return next week in a hybrid right. model. And uh, I know our teachers are excited to, to see them in person. And it, it's just the next step in the process. And, you know, if, if things are continuing to go well, um, then we will, you know, we'll look to um, at some point bring them back more frequently than, than in the hybrid model. But again, I'm, I'm basing it on what we're seeing here in Woonsocket and, you know, what, what the feedback and the data is, is, is telling me. So, um, you know, we're, even, even though plans have been submitted, we're, we're literally working every day with numbers right. and, and moving students and trying to determine, you know, which, where, where these students are going to go. Um, it's, as, as Chairman Bourget said, it's a fluid process, and we're going to continue to work as hard as we can to safely bring our, our students and our staff back 
um, as, as often as we can. Patrick and uh, Paul, if you need the time next week uh, at the same time, you're welcome to uh, come in. Uh, you can book uh, it now. Thank you. Okay. Yes, right. we'll be here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> see you next week. <laughs> That's right. And we'll see you uh, next time on the Upfront program. Bye-bye, everybody. This Thanks. has been WNRI's Upfront, presented weekday mornings at 8 a.m. Upfront is a regular public affairs presentation of News Talk 1380, WNRI Woonsocket.